fire of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Yeah, oh no. You and the kids make fun of me relentlessly, so it's on now. Amen. I, I just want to especially recognize um, special people that you don't know that have been such a blessing to our church are here with us this morning. Pork Lawwell and his wife Mary. I want you just to stand. I know you didn't want me to do this, but Pork and Mary, we're so glad you're here. We honor you. Pork and Mary live right across the street. And uh, Pork is Gene Lawwell's nephew. Um, and you know, Reverend Gene, who didn't love Brother Lawwell? And, and Pork has been a tremendous blessing. What you don't know is since we moved in, he has circled the property every night, checking doors and windows. He's cutting the grass. He cuts his. He comes over, cuts our grass. He has been a tremendous, him and Mary both. They gave us flowers. And I just honor you and thank you. God bless you. Amen. Um, I'm excited. Uh, a great time coming this weekend. These two right here in the center stage are going to be the center stage this Saturday as they get married in Virginia. And we're excited about that. It's going to be a, a great time. My family, Holly's family, Julius's family. It's going to be it's a family wedding in Virginia on some of Holly's uncle's land. And so we'll be leaving tomorrow to to go and do things necessary for that outdoor wedding. And following that on, I would like for you to pray, not just for that, but pray for the following week, Monday through Thursday, Holly and I are going to separate ourselves from the world. And for three days, we're going to work on our preaching calendar and our major events for next year. We already have things like a marriage conference plan, a financial peace university, a revival weekend in January that coincides with our 21-day fast. There's all kinds of things. But uh, we found last year this worked beautifully and helped us a lot. And uh, I've been jotting down. I did a three-day fast this week, Monday through Wednesday, to prepare for that and uh, do it every month. But I wanted to kind of get, you know, get myself ready. And, uh, and it's important because you have four, we have four groups of people that we want to minister to. Everybody say four groups. Let me just give you just a little bit of a tidbit. So we need to plan events and messages that, you know, there's a five-fold ministry. There's apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And so a, a proper diet for a church is to get messages and series of messages in all five of those categories. Uh, apostolic messages, prophetic messages, pastoral messages, teaching messages, which I'm in the teaching kind of aspect now in the book of Philippians, and evangelistic messages. But we also want to do things as a church, not just in series of messages, but in events and things that we do for four groups of people. We want to do things for zero to 20-year-olds, and we want to do things for 20 to 40-year-olds. We want to do things for 40 to 60-year-olds, and then we want to do things for 60 and up. We are a four-generational church in this church, and everybody's important. Amen? Poke your neighbor, say, everybody's important. So we're trying to... We're trying to do things for every age group and, and all the different dynamics that go with that. And so it takes some strategic planning, it takes some strategic thought process, because we're going to continue to grow and reach people. Amen? We are going to reach people. We had, I think, four items off the list is, is already off the list. There's papers out there. We've had people ask about how they can help. Uh, everyone look back there, and we're going to just shine on Dale and Thelma real quick for a moment. I want you to stand down, Thelma, and remain standing. Don't stand for a brief second and then sit. 
And, uh, but they got, they got all kind of, if you would like to help make phone calls to people, if you'd like to visit people, if you'd like to send out cards for people, if you'd like anything like that, uh, you get to see them also this week and part of next week, they're going to uh, help them. Staff is going to have prayer in here Monday through Thursday like normal. How many of you sense the presence of God in this place when you come in? It's because people are in here praying every single day, literally, in the morning. So, so we want you to come if you can come and pray. If not, pray from home. But they're going to be having prayer Monday through Thursday. And then uh, we're also, uh, that you can sign up with them. And so praise God for that. All right. I am, uh, I'm excited about this message today. Uh, live like Jesus. Everybody say, live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Amen. Restart my counter, if you don't mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 and uh, when you have it, I want you to shout out a good amen in your phone or Bible. It'll be on the screen behind you there. And, uh, and we can just, you can just look at the screen and, uh, and, and let's just follow along with me. In the New King James Version, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy in, by being like-minded. And I'm going to break all these down verse by verse. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. God, I've studied, I've prepared, I've worked on it. Now, God, if you don't show up, we're all in trouble. So, God, I just pray you speak right through me. Let it not be any words of my own, but every word from the throne of God into our hearts. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week. By your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody and say, live like Jesus. On a wall at the main entrance of the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with this inscription. James Butler Bonham. No picture exists of him. This is a portrait of his nephew who greatly resembled his uncle. It's placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. Did you know that there is no literal picture or portrait of Jesus Christ that's available? 
However, the likeness of the Son of God who died for us and gave his life for us should and could be seen in the life of his believers. Someone shout a good amen. If we're going to live like Jesus, there are four things we need to do, and it goes right in order. And I want you just, I'm telling you, this is so powerful, this passage here today. Point number one is walk in unity. Everybody say unity. unity. Philippians 2, 2, fulfill my joy by being, watch the words here, I've got it underlined for you. Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Like-minded means think the same thing, unity of affection, love, one accord. Think about it, same, unity, one, it all speaks to unity and harmony, oneness in spirit. Did you know that Christians are supposed to pull things together, not tear them apart? A good question to ask yourself is, before I do this or say this, will it make things better or make things worse? Paul isn't trying to get us to be harmonious and unified at all costs, right? Paul would not be here today and say, oh, you just need to be unified with the Hamas that is murdering, murdering women and children and the elderly. No, we're not supposed to be unified with them. We can never compromise the truth in the name of harmony. There's a lot of churches out there, and there's a lot of ministries out there right now that are compromising the Bible so they can fit in with society. And I want to I just tell you, I'm not mad about anything, or I'm not mad at any group of people, but I, I, unfortunately, listen, we cannot ever go along with LGBT and LGBTQ and homosexual marriages and abortions and anything else that is against the Word of God. We just simply can't. As a matter of fact, as long as you'll have me as your pastor, we will always side on the side of the Word of God. Amen? Always. Always. There are two opinions. There's people's and God's and His Word, and everyone else is wrong. Amen? The Word is right every single time. Is that okay to preach that way? There are ministries and, and groups of, of denominations that are ordaining not just homosexuals to be pastors, transgenders now. Listen, this is against the Bible. I'm not here to beat on anyone. I'm here to tell you that we've got to stand on the word of God. Someone shout amen. But on the other hand, having said that, we must communicate the truth in love and kindness. We don't have to be jerks and we don't use the word as a weapon to beat people up. In dealing with the truth and expressing the truth and communicating the truth, the goal is still unity. It is still to bring people to Jesus Christ and to one another. Amen? So we want unity. So, so here I'm going to give you a lot of illustrations today to try to illustrate, especially as we get later in this, because this, this is a tough subject to try to teach in a short amount of time. But let's talk about unity. Uh, a football team is unified not because every player plays the same position. That would be uniformity. A football team is unified because they're in harmony to reach the same goal. So each player, using their own giftedness, their own talent, their own unique who they are as a person, their body build, their position, their training, their expertise, their gifting, all that stuff, 
They're all going the same direction with the same objective, either to help the team score or stop the opponent's team from scoring. But the key is they're all different. They're all created different. They all play different positions, but they're all moving in the same direction to accomplish the same goal. That is how the body of Christ is supposed to operate. And watch this. It is not always the most talented team that wins the World Series or wins the Super Bowl or wins the NBA championship. It's usually the one that plays as a team together. And I want to tell you something. I believe every single week we can see souls saved and we can see our community transformed if we will walk in harmony and togetherness. Somebody say amen. To be in one accord means to be unified in spirit or harmonious. Let me ask you something. What would your marriage be like if you and your spouse walked in unity, harmony, and oneness of spirit? What would your family be like? Here we go. What would our church be like? Why is unity and harmony so important? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't work in disunity. Where disunity exists, the Holy Spirit backs up. Where unity exists, conversely, the Holy Spirit shows up. This is why I put out a prayer list on things that were important to me so that when we come in and we pray, we are praying in harmony and we're praying the same thing. We're praying every bondage, stronghold, and, 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 and everything that's holding somebody back, be addiction, be broken and destroyed. We're praying for miracles and signs and wonders and healings to flow regularly. We're praying for lost souls to be saved and prodigal sons and daughters to come home. We're praying together the same prayer. We're all different. We all play a different role, but we're all going in the same direction. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we will see breakthrough. We will see souls pour into this place. Amen. So if we're going to have the mindset of a Christian servant, if we're going to be a Christian, <laughs> we've got to pursue unity and harmony without losing the uniqueness of who God created us to be. We make up a great team. Somebody shout amen. amen. There's incredible power in unity. Genesis 11, 5 through 7. The Lord came down. They were building the tower to Babel. He came down to see the city and the tower where the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people, that's unity and harmony, speaking the same language, that's oneness in spirit, they have begun to do this. Watch this. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God said, they're not even doing the right thing, and they don't even have my blessing, but because they're all together, they'll never, nothing will stop them from what they can do. Well, what would happen with the people of Jesus Christ if in his glory and for his glory and by his spirit we all got in that same page? So he said, come, let us go down, confuse their language. God said, I got to disunify them. I got to change their language so they won't understand each other. Watch this. That you will never, ever, ever again travel the same way you used to before 9-11. When I was a little boy, my dad was the chief union leader for Eastern Airlines. For those of you my age or older, you remember Eastern Airlines. My dad used to have to go with Frank Borman, the CEO, to Washington, and they'd battle it out in front of Congress and all that stuff. I can remember we flew first class. I thought that was the only way you flew. I didn't know there was another way. <laughs> Now that I'm older and I pay for my own tickets, I, I don't even know what first class is anymore, amen? 
put me in the latrine if it's going to be a little cheaper. I'm always in coach, baby. Amen. But I remember back in those days, you could, my dad could get in the jump seat. For those of you who don't know what a jump seat is, you got the pilot, co-pilot, and you have a little jump seat in the back of the cockpit. I used to could ride there. My dad could ride there, all that kind of stuff. You know, that was back in the day where you could walk down and wave as, you're, as the people were taxiing back. But what happened since then? Since 9-11, because of 9-11, because 19 men from another country brought America to its knees, the most powerful nation out there today and arguably the most powerful nation in the history of mankind. Nineteen men brought us to our knees and changed forever everything about how we travel. Security has changed because of terrorism. Everything, it will never go back. It not only changed America, it changed the whole world. So help me do the math. If 19 men from halfway around the world in the name of the wrong God can change how a nation and a country and a world operates. What do you think could happen if the people of Jesus Christ could come together in unity and harmony and oneness in spirit and in the name of Jesus the Christ of Nazareth do to change our country in the right way, to change our world in the right way. There are more than 19 of us here. We can turn our community upside down for Jesus Christ. Somebody shout glory. Why? Because we're not coming in the name of the wrong God. We're coming in the name of the true God, the name of Jesus, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You know, I actually believe this stuff. If we're going to live like Jesus, point number two is we've got to get rid of selfish ambition and conceit. Uh-oh, so he's pulling up in the driveway now. <laughs> get rid of selfishness and pride. Look what verse 3 says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing doesn't allow for exceptions. Look, it would have been a lot easier if Paul would have wrote, hey, you know, don't let most things be done through selfish ambition. But there's no exceptions here. Nothing requires an ongoing commitment to humility on our end. Selfish ambition in the Greek, watch this, means faction. Faction means division. What he's saying is, let there be no division and no divisive person being divisive. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, I won't read it all, but the parts that pertain to what we're doing here, these six things the Lord hates. Did you know that God hates some things? Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And it lists the first six and the last one, and one who sows discord among brethren. Speaking out against a ministry because you don't understand why they're doing what they're doing or saying. Speaking out against someone who's doing something in the name of the Lord that maybe wouldn't be the way you did it. Speaking out against a brother or sister in Christ. God says he hates it and it's abomination. It's called selfish ambition or faction. It's creating division. When Britain and France were fighting in Canada in the 1750s, Admiral Phipps, commander of the British fleet, 
was told to anchor outside of Quebec. He was commanded to stay put until the British land forces arrived, and then when they attacked, he was going to help them. But the problem was Admiral Phipps and his Navy got there early, and he got bored. And then he got to looking around, and he got very annoyed at the statutes of saints they had adorned on the towers of the local cathedral. So he thought, well, I don't know when they're coming, but I don't like these statues. So he ordered his men to start firing at them from the ship's cannons. No one knows how many shots he fired. No one knows how many statues he took down. But the problem was when the land forces arrived and signaled the attack, Admiral Phipps and his Navy were useless and of no help because they used up all their ammunition shooting at the saints. I wonder why the body of Christ isn't growing more than it is. Could it be that we're shooting at the saints when we should be firing at the enemy and walking into victory where Christ has called us to be free? Folks, if we want to see God turn this community upside down and be the church that Jesus envisions us to be, then we got to be on the same page and refuse to shoot at the saints. Somebody shout amen. 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 I think we ought to give God a hand clap of praise on that. There's so many people, and they're, and they're struggling. They say, oh, I just can't get anywhere financially. Oh, well, that brother so-and-so, well, that sister so-and-so, and that former pastor, and that this, and that. Well, I can tell you why. You're running everybody down. You're shooting at the saints, and God ain't happy. Listen, we got to clean that up, and we got to fight the devil, not each other, and walk together in unity. Amen? I can promise you this. No team will ever win a World Series or a Super Bowl if they fight one another. They've got to join together and go against the opponent. That's what we need to do. Romans 16, 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, watch this. Note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. God's so serious about it. He says, man, you see somebody that's constantly running somebody down and running down the body of Christ and running this one and running that. He said, just avoid them. You know, what would happen in the body of Christ if we walked out of the car and they, somebody's just running somebody down? Hey, you want to go get lunch? No, man, I can't. The Bible told me to avoid you. <laughs> you wouldn't be wrong. Maybe a different way to do it, but you'd be biblical. He says, don't, don't operate in conceit or vainglory. You know what that means? Empty pride. Do you know that's all pride is, is emptiness? First Peter 5, 5 through 6. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For watch this. This is, this is bad news here. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but it don't sound good to me, God opposing me. I got enough opposition. I need grace. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Do you know opposes means to range in battle against? Our pride, the Bible says, causes God to get in battle array against us. Listen, this ain't good. The second definition of this is resist. When you study that out, it literally means stiff arm. So if I go to make a tackle against somebody, they put their arm out, stiff arm me so I can't tackle them. Listen, God says our pride causes him to stiff arm us. 
I ain't the smartest guy, but none of that's sounding good to me. How many know what I'm talking about? Our flesh comes equipped with so much pride. We're just, our flesh is, it just, it just excels in that. I have a question for you. What do you get by being right? I'm going to be right. Okay, well, and your marriage is terrible because of it. I'm going to be right. Well, the church won't grow because of it. I'm going to be right. Praise God I was right. Well, where's your relationships at? Every now and then it's all right to just say, I know I'm right, but I'm not, not say it, but just say, okay, hey, you're right. Praise God. I'm so glad you're right. Can I give you a cookie? <laughs> There's no value in being right in an argument with somebody. Amen. Amen. I can see this is going over like a lead balloon, so I better move on. If we're going to live like Jesus, we got to serve others. Amen. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, but in lowliness of mind, let each, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you, watch this, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. The word look here means to fix the attention upon with desire or interest in. Bible never says don't take interest in yourself. You need to take care of yourself. But it says don't do that only, but have the interests of other people as well. Serve one another, help one another, uh, take care of one another. Watch what Romans 1 1 says. Paul, a bond servant of Christ. What's he saying? That's who I am. I'm a servant of Christ. He said, called to be an apostle. That's, that's, that's what he does. Set apart for the gospel of God. That's how he does it. But first and foremost, he is a servant of God. Amen. William Carey, the father of modern missions. Served the Lord many years in the country of India. He's known as the father of modern missions. He was very concerned about the attitude of his son, Felix. Felix had promised him and promised God he was going to become a missionary. But then he got appointed to be ambassador of the country of Burma. And so he reneged on the deal. Well, it bothered William Carey. He said, you called to the missions field, and now you got this job over here. So he wrote a letter to a friend asking, pray for my son Felix, because his heart ain't right. And in the letter, he said, watch this, pray for Felix. I want you to listen to this mindset. He said, he is degenerated into becoming an ambassador for the British government while he should be serving the king of kings. We should be serving the king of kings. And if we're going to be like Jesus, and I'll take the rest of the time here today, number four, follow Jesus' example. Paul says, I, I, I want you to get rid of all the selfish ambition, the conceit. I want you to walk in unity. I want you to serve. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you who our example is. His example is Jesus. And he lays it out. Ready? Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's laid out how we're supposed to walk, and now he's going to show us the pattern in which we're to live by. The word mind means thought or think in yourselves. In the context of this passage, he says, let the spirit of humility... And let the welfare of others be in your mind like it was in Jesus' mind. Jesus lived in a spirit of humility and for the welfare of others. And he's saying, that's how you need to act. Talking about them, the Philippians, talking about to us, you and I today. 
constantly thinking this uh, in yourselves. So what is Jesus' example? What am I supposed to follow? Okay, this is going to be the best effort I can to break this down for you. So hang with me. I'm going to throw some definitions, but I'm going to give you illustrations to try to illustrate what is being communicated here. This, these next couple of verses is very deep theologically. I only have a certain amount of time to go through this with you. I could spend a whole day on this. So let me do this the best I can in a short amount of time. Here we go. Philippians 2, 6. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The word form here is a Greek word that has no reference to the shape of any physical object or to any kind of physical shape. It is a philosophical term. Here's how to look at it. If I went to a tennis match yesterday, which I didn't, but let's pretend that I did. I said, I went to a tennis match yesterday and the winning player's form was excellent. What I'm trying to communicate is that that player was playing the best of their ability. What they had inside expressed it outwardly. As a matter of fact, the outward expression that tennis player gave of their inward ability to play tennis was excellent. So if they lost, I said, well, their form was bad. If they won, I said, well, their form was fantastic. I mean, they just had it. I mean, they just had just had just had it just right. You, you understand we're not talking about the form of their physical appearance, but the form of their inward ability. So watch this. Jesus' outward expression of his inmost being was the expression of his deity, of his godness, of the fact that he was the son of God. I'm going to use the word godness, meaning, meaning he is God. So watch this. I, I'm, I'm going to break it down. Just hang with me. He said he thought it not robbery. Everybody say robbery. Robbery is a Greek word with two distinct meanings. A thing unlawfully seized and a treasure to be clutched and retained at all hazards. So watch this. What it's saying here is Jesus, after weighing everything out as a human on earth, did not consider it a treasure to retain the essential nature of God to be clutched and retained with all hazards and to be equal with God. But verse 7, he made himself, I'm going to have some fun with this, of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation. Everybody say no reputation. Watch this. It means he emptied himself. Okay, so what did he empty himself of? What did he give up? Did he give up his deity? Did he empty himself of his deity? No, he could not be God. He is God. He did did that. He couldn't have saved us. He had to be fully man and fully God at the same time. So watch this. He emptied himself of the outward expression of his deity or his godness. It's called the kenosis. It's a great theological study called the kenosis. Basically, he put aside his majesty, his glory, who he really was as God to take on human body. It's like when the sun is covered by a cloud. Watch this. Its brilliance is suppressed but not darkened. On a cloudy day like this, right, it's not dark outside. But you can tell the sun isn't as brilliant because why? The sunlight is obscured but not taken away. So Jesus allowed his humanity to suppress his deity or his godness, who he was as the son of God, but did not take away the fact he was God. 
So you walk outside right now, you may not need sunglasses on because it's cloudy out, but you can tell, well, the sun is out because it's not dark. It's just suppressed. That is exactly what Jesus did when he emptied himself. He said, man, I got to set aside all my godness and the expression of who I am as God and suppress myself into a human body. It's, it's the word became flesh. I told you this was going to get deep. So let me help you illustrate the opposite. You've seen it in scriptures a bunch. Matthew 17, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to let the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, get a little glimpse of who I really am. And Peter was so messed up, two were smart enough not to talk. Peter didn't know what to do, so he said, let's build some tabernacles. And God's just shaking his head going, would you just shut up for once? So you see the opposite. Jesus said, I'm going to let you just get a little glimpse. Wow. And the light was so bright. As pure, the Bible says, that so no launderer on earth could get it that white. You know what he was doing? He said, I'm going to peel back the clouds for just a second, let you see just a little glimpse, and then put it right back. That's what Jesus did to save our souls. He made himself of no reputation. He, what does that mean? He relinquished his rights as God. He set them aside. Watch this. He laid aside the independent use of his attributes as God. When the devil tempted God, Jesus and the three temptations, he was trying to get Jesus, watch this, obviously to sin, but to use his godness, his deity for his own self, his own selfishness. Jesus didn't fall for it. So instead, watch what Jesus did. Jesus said, I can't come down there like God, man. I'd, man I'd, my light will blind everybody. Everybody be all messed up. So he said, here's what I got to do. I got to empty myself. Watch this. He had to lay aside. Holly picked out the right outfit today. I didn't even think about this. He's got to lay aside. The zipper would work. He's got to watch this. Jesus said, I've got to empty myself. I got to lay aside all my attributes of who I really am as God, all my godness, and trap myself in a human body, humanity. Are you seeing this? He set aside all the rights and privileges of his princehood, of his sonship. He laid aside his royalty. He set aside his kingdom. He laid aside, watch this, uh, his home to come to earth. He laid aside, set aside walking away from his father to come to earth to live as a human being. Say, Pastor, I don't really understand that. Yeah, you do. Watch this. Prince Henry, King Charles' youngest son, set aside his rights and privileges of his princehood. He left his royalty. He left his kingdom. He left his home in England. He left his father in England to go to California and live as an American. It's the same principle what Jesus did. He said, I got to lay aside all that stuff in heaven if I'm going to come down and be human so I can be fully human and fully God. Somebody shout amen. amen. Rather than expressing his deity, his godness, he, 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 he stopped him. He stopped it from expressing his deity. He said, man, I'm going to be human, fully human on earth, and I've got to suppress this. So it's like pouring water into a container. Jesus poured the entirety of his deity, his godness, the attributes as God into the container of his humanity. 
Are you hearing me? In theology, it's known as the hypostatic union. Two natures in one person unmixed forever. So what does this mean to us? How can we adopt Christ's mindset and follow his example? In John 13, verse 1 through 17, the great chapter where Jesus gets down, watch this self, he took off his garment, got down on his knees in the form of the lowest servant and washed his disciples' feet. He was still master and Lord and God of the universe while he was kneeling as the lowest servant. He humbled himself. That'd be like Prince Harry going and taking a job to work in the sewer system in California. And that's not even a good example. He laid aside all his glory, the majesty, the essence of who he was as God and said, I'm going to show you how to behave in life. I'm going to take the form of the lowest servant there is. Are you seeing what Jesus did? And if Jesus did that, listen, that's what he's calling you and I to do. In the same way, we've got to set aside everything we think is something and take on the form of the lowest servant and serve. Lay aside your gifts and who you think they are and all that other stuff and serve the kingdom of God. Use your gift for the glory of God. Lay aside your talents and do that. Lay aside your family lineage, your prestige, your resources and say, no, my life is for the glory of God. But you know what we do in the Christian church? We say, well, pastor, if it's only going to take 10 minutes, I might do it. Man, is that what Jesus did? Help us, Lord. Jesus laid aside his glory and took the likeness of men. Likeness of men means that which is made like something else. Jesus' humanity was a real likeness, not a fake copy. He was fully man and fully God and as a result could save us. So Philippians 2.8 goes on to say, And being found in the appearance as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Appearance means schema here, and it is used in ancient times when a king would exchange his royal clothes and take, for a time and take on the clothes of a common person or beggar. He would say, well, I got to become like them, if I'm going to really rule them right and see what it's like, I'm going to take off all my identity, my prestige, my royalty. I'm going to lay it aside, and I'm going to put on the clothes of the common person and the beggar. That's what Jesus did when he laid aside who he was as God and said, I got to put on the clothes of humanity. He dropped himself from his high position as God to be among the simple and the mortal for a season. Listen, he came down to talk our language, eat our food, breathe our air, and, and put up with our sin, breathe our air. Somebody say a good amen. He humbled himself means to make or to be brought low. It's the same in a secular document back then. It was one in which the Nile River, when it was at its lowest stage, they'd say, well, it was, it humbled, it's humbled right now. It's been brought to its lowest point. Listen, if Christ brought himself to the lowest point, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? 
What does it say to God when we say, well, God, I really appreciate all you did for me and you humbled yourself and you did all this for me that I just explained. But, you know, I'm a little too busy to serve him in church. I'm a little too busy to serve the kingdom of God right now. I got too much on my plate now. Quiet up in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> he said, I became obedient and closing to the death of the cross. Many people are willing to serve others if it doesn't cost them anything. But if there's a price to place, pay, suddenly they lose interest. Dr. J.H. Jovett, Jovett said this, ministry that costs me nothing accomplishes nothing. At a religious festival in Brazil, a missionary was going from booth to booth, and he saw a sign above one booth that said, cheap crosses. He said, huh. Isn't that what a lot of people were after, cheap crosses? He said, my Lord's cross was not cheap, so why should mine be? Would you bow your heads? Pastor, I don't know, man, this kind of preaching ain't going to really invite people to church. I mean, this is tough preaching here. It's where the rubber meets the road, folks. Are we going to be Christians like Jesus or not? My simple question to you today is, do you want to be like Jesus today? What would your life be like if you lived like Jesus? What would my life be like? What would your marriage be like? What would your family be like? What would our church be like? What would our community be like? I mean business, folks, but every head bowed, every eye closed. I mean business. I'm not here to play games. I'm not here to have cute little church, go home and get through the week and come back, have cute little church. God has sent us to this community to absolutely influence this community for Jesus Christ and turn it upside down. I'm willing. I'm willing to lay aside all my own stuff and take on the form of the lowest servant like my Savior Jesus did. Is there anybody in here? You've never really surrendered to Jesus. You're not, you're not even saved. You don't even know what I'm talking about, but you, you like the sound of this Jesus, him dying on the cross. You say, that's me. Preacher, I, I want to be saved. And you can feel it. You may not even understand, but you say, that's me. I, I want that. If that's you, I'd like for you to slip your hand up when I count to three. One, two, three. Would you slip your hand up? Is there anybody? Is there anybody at all? I didn't.